We are up to chapter 5, mission number 21. Call Hamezake es Harabim. Anyone who brings about merit for the public. Ein chait ba al yado. No sin can come through him. Vachal machti sarabim. But whoever brings sin upon the public. Ein must speak in The heaven will not allow him the opportunity to repent. Moshe zacha vizika es harabim. Moshe, of course, the greatest teacher of all. He was meritorious himself, and he brought about merit for the public. The merit of the public is accredited to him. The righteousness of Hashem he performed and performed his laws together with Israel. We'll explain more about what this means, but the merits of Israel are accrued to Moshe. Conversely, Yeravam Benavad, Jeroboam, King Jeroboam, he himself, he sinned, and he brought about sin for the public. And therefore the sin of the public is accredited to him. The sins that Jeroboam himself committed and the sins that he caused Israel to commit. Jeroboam is the founding king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He was the one who split the Jewish nation into two, and he caused the northern kingdom to descend into idolatry and sin, and therefore all those sins are accredited to him. So this is an amazing Mishnah, a very powerful Mishnah, that tells us the importance of the influence that we give to others to be positive. If we influence others positively, number one, no sin will happen to us. And number two, all that influence that we beget to other people, all that or all the things that they do on their own, all that accrues to us, all that gets accredited to us, all the Torah that Moshe taught Israel and then they study on their own, Moshe himself gets a slice of all their merits. On the flip side, if we influence other people negatively, all their sins that they did because of us get added to our account. And therefore, Jeroboam, he has not only his own personal sins to account for, he has the sins of all the people that he caused to sin, all that gets added to his ledger. Now, Rashi, just to start the discussion, very interesting Mishnah here. Rashi tells us that when the Mishnah starts and tells us that if you benefit others, you teach others, you inspire others, you promote the spiritual advancement of other people, you yourself won't sin. So Rashi explains a very beautiful idea. What would happen if you promote the advancement of other people and you get them to do mitzvos? your students are all tzaddikim, they're all righteous, but you yourself sin? What would happen then? You would be in Gehenom and they would be in paradise, in the afterlife. And it's improper to have the teacher in hell and the students in paradise. And therefore, if you inspire others to do good, to do merits, well, then you yourself will be shielded from sin because it's not fair, it's improper for you to be in hell to suffer for your sins and for them to be in heaven to bask in the merit of their mitzvos, it's not fair that you cause them to get there and you yourself cannot get there. On the flip side, if you caused others to sin, well, then your spiritual descendants or your spiritual heirs, your pupils, your disciples, your students, they're all going to have to suffer and pay for their sins. 
and it's improper for you to repent and you to end up in heaven while your disciples have to give an accounting for their misdeeds in Gehenna. So the basic structure of this Mishnah, according to Rashi, is that in the afterlife, the teacher is with the students. And therefore, if the teacher inspired the students, the teacher themselves will also end up in a good place. Whereas if the teacher caused the students to go awry, the teacher himself or herself will end up with the students. And this is a general concept that appears other places in Jewish philosophy and law. We're told if there is an accidental murderer, someone who kills accidentally, manslaughter, someone like that has to end up in a city of refuge. And who has to go with them? Their teacher. If the student kills someone accidentally, then the teacher has to end up with them in the city of refuge. They too must go into exile. And therefore, you have to be very careful who you choose as a student because your students and their decisions are going to redound back to you. The Talmud tells us of an interesting dispute between two leaders of the Jewish people. One of them was Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel was the head of the academy. He was the Nasi, the president of the Sanhedrin. And he was fired. We told the story a few times in the past. He was fired. And there's a whole reason why he had a dispute with Rabbi Yeshua, and he had a dispute with Rabbi Yezer, and the academy lost trust in Rabbi Gamliel. And they fired him, and they hired a replacement. And eventually he was reinstated. But there was a time where he was fired, and in his stead, after Rabbi Gamliel was fired, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah took over his helm, his position. And the Talmud tells us in the book of Brachos on page 28a that they had a different philosophy of how to have students. Rabbi Gamliel, he had a guard by the door of the academy and any student that wasn't perfect was not admitted into the academy. If your inside was not like your outside, then you were not allowed to enter the academy. That was the philosophy of Rabbi Gamliel. Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, the day that he took over, he fired the guard at the door of the academy and he allowed anyone who wanted to study Torah to enter. And the Talmud brings two opinions as to what happened. Either they added 400 benches to the academy to accommodate all the new students or they added 700 benches to the academy to accommodate the new students. But we see a different philosophy as to how to approach the question of who you should accept as a student. And maybe this is a similar idea. Your destiny is almost tied in with your students. If they end up in a good place, you're with them. If they end up in a bad place, you're also with them. And therefore, it makes sense, perhaps, to be selective in who you choose as a student. Now, Rashi here kind of says the point that's hinted to in the Mishnah. Moshe was meritorious, and he merited other people. Moshe himself studied Torah, and he taught it to other people as well. 
As a result of that, the people who Moshe taught, they did a mitzvah. Every time you study Torah, you get a mitzvah. And Moshe himself earned a slice of all the mitzvos done as a result of what he did. And by the way, right now, we're studying Torah. Where did this Torah come from? The first pipeline connecting heaven and earth, bringing down the heavenly Torah from heaven above to us below, the first one was Moshe. So you know who gets a merit for our Torah study that we're doing right now? None other than Moshe. Even after he passes, anything that comes as a result of your deeds all gets accrued back to your deeds. So the amount of mitzvahs that Moshe has is just astronomical. Now, the Bartanura, one of the commentaries on this Mishnah, he takes that a little bit of a step further. He says, not only do the mitzvahs that Moshe caused, does he get the merit of them? Every mitzvah that someone did because of Moshe, it was as if Moshe himself did it. An amazing thing. You do one mitzvah, you teach others, you spread Torah to others, and they all do mitzvahs on their own, not only does the merit of the mitzvah go back to you, or a portion of the merit of the mitzvah go back to you, it's as if you did it and you get the full merit of their mitzvah. Whatever mitzvahs that you cause, you spur, you engender, you promote, it is as if you yourself actually did it. What an astonishing idea. How important is it for us to promote positive things Promote mitzvahs, and every mitzvah that we promote, we get a slice of it. So we have two levels. Either we get a slice of it, or it is as if we ourselves did it. And then the Talmud in the book of Bava Basra, page 9a, tells us, Someone who causes others to do mitzvahs, not only do they get a slice of it, not only is it as if they themselves did it, it is greater. The reward of someone who gets others to do is greater than those themselves who do it. What an amazing idea. When Moshe gets other people to do it, we have one level, Rashi, he gets a slice of the mitzvah. A second level, the Bartanura, that he gets the full credit of the mitzvah as if he did it. And then we have this advanced idea, he gets even more credit than the person who actually did it because he was the one who initiated it. He was the one who started it off. He inspired it, and therefore he gets even more reward than the person who actually did it. This is like multi-level marketing on the highest level. What an amazing idea. Now I'm going to tell you a calculation that will astonish you. The greatest mitzvah of all the mitzvahs is, of course, Torah study. The Talmud tells us that Talmud Torah keneged kulam. There are 613 mitzvahs, and there's one mitzvah that's equal to all 613 put together. And that's Torah study. Not only that, one word of Torah study equals a mitzvah. So with every word of Torah study, you have a mitzvah that's equal to 613 mitzvahs put together. So one word of Torah equals 613 mitzvahs. Now, it's obvious to me, I didn't really research this question, but it makes a lot of sense to me, that it's not only if you enunciate the mitzvah yourself, 
or the Torah word yourself, even if you listen to it, so you're listening to a podcast, you're hearing it, and you're hearing words of Torah, it counts, even one word of Torah counts as a mitzvah. Of course, it's better to say it yourself. Talmud says that it's very important to say it yourself. But if you listen to a word of Torah, it also counts. So if I say a word of Torah, 630 mitzvahs come to me. If you listen to a word of Torah, 630 mitzvahs come to you. Now, how many words is the average podcast? How many words of Torah? So I don't know, but I once... I once guesstimated it's about five to 6,000 words. But let's be conservative. Let's say it's 5,000 words. So what's 5,000 times 613? We're talking about every single podcast is more than 3 million mitzvos. What an amazing thing. 3 million to me and 3 million to you. But if you think about it, Zoom out a little bit. I have it way easier than you. Listen to this. Suppose a podcast with 5,000 words. Each one is a word of Torah. Each word has 630 mitzvot to it. Suppose there's 1,000 people who listen to it. So let's do the math here for me. Every word is 613 mitzvot. 5,000 words. So every single one of those people who listen... It's a little more than 3 million mitzvos. If you multiply that times 1,000 people will listen, so it's 1,000 times 3 million, it's 3 billion mitzvos for me. Because I'm teaching it, and you're listening to it, so I get the merit, like Moshe did, like the Mishnah tells us happens to us, I get the merit of all that I inspire, or all that I caused, and I did play a part in this. So I get the merits. Three billion mitzvos for me. Every listener gets three million mitzvos. It's not bad. You'll take it. Each mitzvah is an angel who'll fight on your behalf tenaciously for all of eternity. And you have a little more than three million of them. And I have three billion. And thank you so much. Now, what if there were 3,000 people who listened to it? Then my 3 billion is now 9 billion. It's not a bad deal. And again, each mitzvah, we're told, is an angel. An angel that will fight on your behalf, your advocate for all of eternity. So it's a pretty good deal. You study Torah. If you say, hey, you know what? I want to listen to a podcast. I'm going on a jog now. I'm going to do some exercise. I want to listen to a podcast. What should I listen to? Let's scroll through. Okay, we have Torah. Uh, we also have, I don't know, politics or sports or science or uh, true crime. There's lots of different categories of podcasts out there. And you say, you know what? We'll listen to Torah. So you put on a Torah podcast. You've just now earned... Three million mitzvahs. Congratulations. Had you not listened to Torah, you would have had zero mitzvahs from that. But I get three billion. Suppose there's a thousand listeners, maybe 10 billion if there's, I don't know, 3,300, etc. But it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not equitable. Why does Rabbi Walby get all those mitzvahs Billions and billions, and all we have is a paltry three million mitzvos for us studying. 
Again, I'm going to tell you a secret. I'm going to give you a hack. I'm going to let you hack the system. Our mission tells us that when you get others to do mitzvah, it also accrues to your spiritual coffers. So if you have a thousand downloads, three billion for me and only three million for you. You take it, but a billion is still better than a million. But here's the way to hack the system. Here's the way to come over to our side. I always say, anyone who supports our organization, Torch, anyone who supports the podcast, you earn a slice in all the merits. You become an owner. You become a purveyor of Torah. You're distributing. You're meriting others. And you become a billionaire instead of just a millionaire. The best bargain in the world. I always say, like, we're giving this away for free. You support the podcast. You spread Torah worldwide. You're earning billions of mitzvos. And I make it easier for people. This is just out of my benevolence here. Anyone who supports Torch in general, even if you don't support a specific podcast episode, I still give you a share. I still give you a piece of it. This is the cheapest and easiest way to earn billions of mitzvahs. Now, I think, you know, for me, in my Parsha podcast, for example, I have like a little bit of a, of a craziness to it. So I don't know if all of y'all are listening to the Parsha podcast, but we've been on an unprecedented run, almost a year and a half now, of not missing a single week of the Parsha podcast. And of course, we've had tremendous stories of the Almighty intervening, divine in- intervention, making sure that we have a new podcast every week. The stories are, are crazy. I actually remember this week is Parsha's Toldos. And last year in Parsha's Toldos, I literally had nothing to say. I had, no- I had nothing to say. And you think I'm making, I'm exaggerating. Nothing. A blank sheet of paper, nothing. And I sat down, I said, Almighty, I need some help here. I got to do a Parsha podcast. And like, almost like a bolt of lightning, the Almighty inserted a fully formed podcast into my head. Last, last year, so this is uh, 5781, uh, 2020, November 2020, we did a podcast episode called Esau or Asav's Fatal Flaw. And I'm telling you now, I'm being perfectly honest with you, the Almighty just dropped it into my head, parachuted into my brain. A miracle. But, I haven't taken a week off. And someone said to me, maybe take a week off. You know, take some time off. Every week you're all stressed because you got to do a Parsha podcast. You're all stressed. It's difficult. Take a week off. Go to a spa. Go on a vacation. The reason why I can't do it is because I actually believe what I just told you. I actually believe that every time I teach Torah for an hour, I myself get three million mitzvahs. And three million mitzvahs for every person who listens to it. And a mitzvah is worth more than a dollar. Let's assume that. It's probably worth more than a billion dollars. But let's assume at least it's worth a dollar. So if I get, I don't know, 10 billion mitzvahs, 10 billion dollars for every podcast, it doesn't make sense to take a week off. It makes me a little crazy because, you know, I, I really have very little time for anything else. But the logic, at least I believe, I actually believe this. What I told you, I actually believe completely. So that makes me crazy because I can't take a week off. How can you take a week off? How could you leave so much on the table? An amazing idea. Now, I want to make this even 
even sweeter. <laughs> so we have 3 million mitzvos to 3 billion mitzvos to 10 billion mitzvos. Amazing thing. There is a statement in the Talmud that tells us that the merit of doing a mitzvah when it's difficult is a hundred times more than when it is easy. So if it's really difficult for you to study Torah or to listen to Torah, or it's very hard, everything's multiplied times a hundred. So those, you know, that three million mitzvahs becomes 300 million mitzvahs. But not only that, we're also told that if it's really, really, really hard for you to do a mitzvah, it's not times a hundred, it's times a hundred times a hundred, namely times 10,000. So your three million mitzvahs becomes 30 million mitzvahs. And my nine billion mitzvahs becomes 90 trillion mitzvahs. That's a very large number because it's even larger than the national debt. It's huge. Now, what I'm telling you, this is the calculation I wanted to share with you. It sounds very ambitious. But what are the odds is actually true? Is that really how it works? Is that really how it works? So I want to tell you, I believe this 100%. But let's assume, let's assume that you're more rational. You're more of a skeptic. You say, you know what? What are the odds that what Rabbi Walby is saying in this calculation is actually true? I don't know if it's true. Maybe there's a 50% chance that it's true. Even if we assume there's only a 1% chance that I'm right, that what the Talmud says is actually true, it's still the best investment of all time. You know, if you have a 1% chance at making billions and billions and billions and billions, that's still a pretty good bet. It's still better than buying Bitcoin for a penny. And you know what? If you say, ah, Rabbi Wolby is talking up the tar because he wants donations for Torch. Don't give to Torch. Give to any yeshiva support. Any yeshiva support Torah. It's the best investment in the world. It drives me crazy that people take their fortunes and they give it to museums of art. What a waste. It's just so silly. Even supporting a hospital. It's a good thing. It's a mitzvah. Not a question. It's a mitzvah. A huge mitzvah. Every person you help is a mitzvah. For sure. But Torah is so much better. It's, 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 there's no comparison at all between what you get as a benefactor of Torah and what you get as a benefactor of anything else. And it kind of boggles my mind that people don't just give all their charity money to Torah. That's what I would do. It makes, it makes the most sense. It makes tons of sense. Think about it. What is your return on investment? What is your spiritual return on investment? It's staggering when it comes to Torah. So why do people have a hard time doing it? The answer is because that has the best return of investment and that's exactly where the Yetzirah does not want you to give it to. So he says, oh, give to the museum. It's art. Don't you realize how important it is? There's no Yetzirah resistance to giving to the museum. And even the hospital, the Yetzirah, will tolerate. But to Torah, oh no, all kinds of problems and obstacles will be placed in front of you before you give to Torah. 
Because you'll say, well, I don't know, maybe the people shouldn't be studying Torah, they should do something more productive, they're parasites, they should go to the army instead, why aren't they doing something productive for society? It's ancient, the Torah, is it so important? Come on! That's what the Yetzirah makes you think, because he doesn't want you to do it. Doesn't want you to have all those billions and billions and billions. Instead, give it to the museum. Support art. No problem. Here's $500 million for art that only 2% of the art in all the museum coffers are ever shown to the public. It's a total waste of money. It's just amazing. It just, it's kept in the vault, never seen by anyone, never enjoyed by anyone. What a beautiful way for the Yetzirah to get its will. You donated. You were benevolent and generous. And literally no one benefited from it. No one even saw the art that you gave. I was thinking to make, to make the, uh, the sponsorship of the podcast. When someone wants to sponsor a podcast, what I started doing now is I say, listen, you give whatever you want. Give whatever you want. Whatever you want to give to support Torah, to support our organization that's obsessed with teaching Torah. Whatever you want to do, we'll support you. I'll give you the sponsorship. I'm thinking now, just working through this calculation, maybe what we should do is we should make the sponsorship contingent on the downloads. So for every download that you get for the sponsorship, for the podcast that you support, it's 3 million mitzvahs, right? So I'm going to give you a bargain. It's only $50 for, for 3 million mitzvahs. So if it's if it's a 1,000 downloads, it's only $50,000 to, to sponsor the, the podcast episode. That's it. Think about it. It's still an amazing bargain. It's an amazing thing. People got intimidated. So instead, no, I, I, we, we do it for whatever price someone wants to give, whatever they want to do. It's just so easy. It's basically free. Billions and billions of mitzvahs are here for you to take. That's the end of my astonishing calculation. And let's continue with this amazing Mishnah. The Mishnah tells us that if you support and encourage and promote others to do mitzvot, then you will not sin. The Almighty will make a protective shield around you so you don't sin. Alternatively, if you promote others to do to, to sin, you'll be locked out of repentance. So there's a very important Rabbi Yoni here. And he says that the merit of a mitzvah is as great as the mitzvah itself. Someone does a big mitzvah. Commensurate to the size of a given mitzvah is the reward for that mitzvah. And therefore, the merit of a great mitzvah, of supporting Torah, of teaching, of mitzvahs, of of inspiring others, that is you get a shield, a shield against bad thoughts, against bad sins. The Almighty will prevent the cravings of sin. On the flip side, the punishment for a grievous sin must be commensurate to the degree of sin. It's a big sin, and therefore the punishment has to be big as well. So the sin of causing others to sin, the punishment for that is that you lose your chance to fix yourself. Your free will is going to be limited and curbed. You will not be able to do repentance. So the example of this, the classic example of this is Pharaoh and Sichon. God hardens their heart, makes it impossible for them to repent. And the reason for that is because that in itself is the worst punishment for the worst kind of sin. Now, my grandfather, blessed memory, he used to share an idea 
on this Mishnah. The word zacha means to be meritorious or to merit, and zito it's to make other people meritorious. So Moshe was zacha vizito. Moshe himself was meritorious, and he made others meritorious as well. But the word zacha also means purification. Moshe purified himself and was able to purify others. What this means is that your ability to influence others is directly proportional to the amount of purification that you yourself have done to yourself. The more you make yourself capable of being a vessel yourself, that is the degree to which you can influence others as well. They quote from one of the great Hasidic masters who said that the way to influence others, it's like when you have a cup. You have a cup and you start pouring wine into the cup or water or Gatorade, any sort of beverage. You pour it into the cup and the cup gets fuller and fuller and then it reaches the top and then it starts spilling over. That is the way to influence others. Moshe, Moshe himself, he's absorbing more and more and more and more and it overflows, it goes into him, it kind of overflows and it influences others. And that's the idea. The more you yourself transform yourself, make yourself refined and purified, the more you yourself are absorbing, that will directly result in you being capable of spreading and influencing and inspiring others as well. Now, one of my study partners here, uh, Yehuda Bressler, who I study with now, I told him, I said, I'm going to quote you in the podcast, but now you have to listen to the podcast. So he says, yeah, listen, but you have to tell me exactly what minute of the podcast you're quoting me. I said, no, I'm not going to tell you. You have to find it yourself. You have to listen to the whole thing yourself. So he said something interesting when we were studying together. He says that when you cause others to sin, the Mishnah tells us that you won't be able to repent. The reason for that is, is because the cat is out of the hat, the horse has left the barn, the sins are scattered and irretrievable. And the analogy here is, if you take, if you take a pillow, it's got lots of feathers. And you walk up on top of the roof on a really windy day and you start shaking the pillow and you shake all the feathers loose and they start scattering in all directions. And the winds are swirling and they're carrying these feathers in every direction. And now you are given the task. Go fill up this pillow again. Go retrieve every feather from every direction. Of course, it's impossible for you to do that because they've gone in so many different places. You cannot piece together and retrieve all the parts, all the missing parts that have gone in every direction. If you get others to sin, God forbid, they're now off on their own life and they're getting other people to sin. All that accrues back to you. It's a terrible thing because not only, you know, if I inspire someone to inspire someone else, all that cascading influence all that gets accrued back to the original source. But on the flip side, if I, God forbid, inspire others to sin, and they go on to inspire others to sin, those 
feathers are so distributed throughout the whole world, it's like a pandemic, right? One person has the virus, patient zero, and it's impossible to stop it. It's a runaway train. It's a runaway pillow feathers. You can't get it back. It's impossible to repent. And finally, I want to end off with an amazing comment from the Chassid Yaivitz, one of the great commentaries on the Mishnah. He tells us that these three, most recent three Mishnayos are connected. We had the first one that talks about love, love that is not contingent on something will endure, but love that is contingent on something that will go away. So the first Mishnah talks about love. And then the next one talks about disputes, the right kind of dispute. And finally, we talk about influence inspiring others. So he says these three things represent the three responsibilities of every individual. Number one, love, that's a reference to someone's behavior. If your behavior is for the sake of heaven, that is component number one of your spiritual responsibility. And then we have the dispute. The dispute refers to Torah study and how to do Torah study, how to argue it out properly. And that's the second component of your spiritual responsibility. And finally, the third component of your spiritual responsibility is to influence others, to not limit what you know, what you've learned, and what you've adopted, to not limit that to yourself, but to spread the message, spread it onward, get other people to that as well. And the idea here is, the analogy that he gives, gives two analogies actually. A son loves his father and wants other people to love his father as well. And someone who truly loves God wants to make sure that other people love God as well. And then he gives another analogy here of a warrior, a warrior fighting for the king. And he's so taken by the king and so committed to spreading the king's power that the person themselves raises an army and goes and tries to fight on the king's behalf. Someone like that, after they win the war, the king will shower them with great gifts because not only did they go fight for the king, they got others to fight for the king as well. And that's what it means to inspire others. Not only that you yourself inspire yourself, but you get others to do the same. And someone like this, he quotes the Rambam, the Almighty never stops watching over someone that works to inspire others. Not only that, the hidden secrets of Torah are revealed to such a person and they become like a never-ending wellspring of Torah, completely, continuously discovering new and amazing insights. So we think of inspiring others as a very nice thing. Here we're told it's actually a necessary component. What every person has to do is make sure that they themselves are personally fulfilling what they might express of them. Not only that, they are spreading the message onward to other people. So we have an amazing mission over here. Our responsibility is to be personally refined and righteous, but also to impact others as well. And doing that gives us a slice 
of their mitzvos that are krustas. It's as if we did it according to the Bartanura. You get the merit of mitzvos done by others that you encouraged. And at least we should try to get others to study Torah, to support the Torah. And this, of course, is the best investment. By doing that, we ourselves are going to be given a blanket shield against sin. An amazing thing. If you get someone to listen to the podcast, to study Torah, all of their mitzvot accrues to you. It's an amazing thing. You have to become a podcast ambassador, a Torah ambassador, spread the message. It's the easiest way to get any mitzvot. And by the way, when that person forwards it to someone else, and the other person you, who you don't even know, six degrees of separation, all that accrues to you as well. An amazing thing. And of course, with the runaway from the terrible, terrible danger of inspiring other people to do bad, because then it never ends. It's irretrievable. There's no way to repent from it. But on the flip side, if we do good and we inspire others to do good, we unlock a tremendous amount of blessing, a never-ending, cascading blessing to us for all eternity. I thank you for listening. It's great to discuss this Mishnah from the Torch Center in Houston, Texas. My email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com.